1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about and debating in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and as ever... I am joined by Duncan Castles for today's pod. And we will be uh, talking some very, very interesting news lines. Duncan, we're going to start uh, with uh, Paul Pogba, who, of course, as we all know, is out of contract at Manchester United in the summer. Um, His desire has always been to go to Real Madrid. um, And that has not certainly progressed any um, There have been some conversations, but no offers. Uh, however, you have uh, information regarding uh, his former club and interest and, of course, their manager, whom he knows very well.
0: Yeah, this basically Max Allegri has instructed Juventus that he wants two players to build a new team around, one of which he's already got, Dusan Vlaovic. Um, that battle they had with Arsenal uh, to secure Vlaovic in the January transfer window and give themselves uh, a centre-forward that they hope can be the principal striker at the club for the next decade. Um, the other is Paul Pogba. Um, so Allegri went into that window asking Juventus to secure both of those players if they could. Um, obviously, uh, they ended up pushing their financial resource into getting Vlaovic done in that window and Pogba would have required a transfer fee from Manchester United and a decision from the player that that his next club was going to be the one he'd he'd played for before moving to Manchester United on that initial €105 million transfer in 2016. Um, As you say, Pogba's preference has been Real Madrid. There have been conversations. There's been a kind of line from Florentino Perez um, going back. Uh, before last summer that Pogba should run his contract down, that he was interested in signing him, but he wouldn't be paying a transfer fee. So run your contract down and we'll have conversations once you're able to come to us for free. Um, Knowing that Pogba's preference was to go to the club, there are very few other potential suitors. Paris Saint-Germain is another obvious candidate. He wants a massive salary. Um, And he wants to go to a club where he can win titles, having spent now in his sixth season at Manchester United um, and having just a League Cup and a um, Europa League to show for that period there. The Allegri interest is fascinating because I think it's fair to argue that Pogba's best two club seasons of his career came under Allegri at Juventus, um, who took over halfway through that period in which Pogba spent in Italy. Um, He had 61 Serie A appearances um, under Allegri, scored 16 goals, 17 assists, um, won two Scudetti and two Coppa Italia. And compare that to his now almost six seasons at Manchester United, 144 Premier League appearances, 29 goals and 40 assists, and the the number of appearances declining as as the years go on. Um, Allegri had a very good relationship with Pogba when they when they worked together. Um, I think we told the story on the podcast before about how Allegri would play basketball with Pogba at the training ground and and joke around with him um, and found a way to get the best we've seen out of him in club football. Um, Pogba and Raiola have managed the situation at Manchester United into one where they should be able to secure the maximum financial package and it's now in their control as to what they do. United can no longer um, take a transfer fee on a player who, uh, as long ago as um, 2018, Jose M- Mourinho was recommending to the club should be sold because he'd become a problem, um, and there'd been a mistake had been made in signing him. Part of which was down to Mourinho himself, and that the club should cash in while they could and uh, and place that money elsewhere. United can't do that anymore. They are still briefing that they are interested in retaining the player, but they know that having allowed the contract to run down um, because Pogba has resisted the offers that they have proposed to him in that period, they have to go into a straight fight against clubs like Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid if they decide to make offers for his services. and so that there's a decision to be made this summer. Um, he has a clear suitor now in Italy. Um, they also have the advantage of the, uh, of the tax laws that benefit foreign players coming into the country. So they're able to offer a higher net salary for relative to gross spend than the, the rivals for his signature. And we must wait and see if anyone else is able to go as far as Juventus are prepared to go for the player.
1: It's a pretty high salary to play uh, for a player just so that you can have a game of one-on-one on the basketball court. <laughs> uh, and also, I, I know how to Be backing. <laughs> Allegri's about five foot ten. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure there's much of a competition there with regards to um, that particular uh, a duo um, play play. Basketball.
0: Well, um, there's the genius of Allegri. Uh, play play one on one basketball with with Paul and let him win and uh, get him onside instead of uh, instead of having arguments with him about how he should uh, perform on the football pitch. Um, they all. He's also able to sell not just a personal relationship. He's able to sell. This is where you succeeded. Um, come back to a team who's invested in players like Vlaovic We're rebuilding. You will win Serie A trophies again here. Um, and we are going to try and build something that's competitive in the Champions League and, and basically to be more competitive than Manchester United have been in the Champions League really isn't that hard.
1: So, Paul Pogba, um, it does look like a formality that he will leave Manchester United in the summer being out of contract. But more problems for the club um, with regards to things that are happening both on and off the field. Bounced out of the FA Cup and uh, and then drawing with Burnley, uh, who are relegation contenders. Ralph Ranić, uh who um, was very honest in his assessment and said, you can't come to a club uh, who've won almost nothing in 10 years and then turn it around in two months uh, or even six months. It takes longer than that, uh, even at Manchester United. Um i I'm told, uh, by sources very close to the Manchester United dressing room, is frustrating many of his players with decisions that he's, make, that he's made, uh, both uh, in team structure, tactics, formation but also his treatment uh, and decision-making, although, of course, it would have been taken in conjunction with other people uh, of Mason Greenwood, given uh, his uh, problems off the field. But football players being instinctively selfish would rather simply ignore things like that because Greenwood is a a very, very talented player and they know that uh, not having him available and uh, disadvantages them as a team with regards to uh, winning football matches. Uh, We said on the podcast, Duncan, some time ago that even though Ranick turned up at Old Trafford believing he could persuade the club uh, and perform at a level high enough to be offered a job full-time, that instead that's definitely not the case and that the uh, search for a new head coach had already started. Um, how, how do you solve a problem like that when players A are already uh, looking at the coach as a lame duck um, with still, uh, what, four months of the season left? And now they're out of the FA Cup, so their only target is to get into Europe and that would be Champions League. Um, but at the same time, um, will they play for a coach that they know is not going to be there next season? Because we we all know that, that that's the kind of thing that really doesn't work in football when players know that the guy they're playing under is not going to be there. Uh, you think about uh, coaches who've announced a retirement before the end of the season, and uh, if he's well liked, then yes, the players will play for him. But if it's if it's that's indifference, then they just the performance levels just slip and slip.
0: Look through the Ula Solskjaer era, we had heard a lot about cultural reboots at Manchester United and how important it was for them to change the culture of the club in order to turn themselves into competitors again at the top end of the league and competitors again in the in Europe's premier competition. What I'm hearing from various sources at Manchester United is that, is that the dressing room culture at Manchester United is a mess for some of the reasons you're talking about. Um, one of the issues is leadership. One of the issues is respect for the coaching staff. And that feeds through into performances. Um, we've seen Ranyak's inability to turn things around. We talked uh, some time ago now about mistakes he made early on in, in his process, the, the tactical system he used. Uh, his choice of assistant coaches brought in from the MLS who were described to me by by players working under them that they're, they're not bad coaches, it's not that they're not trying hard but ultimately they're MLS level, they're an improvement on Solskjaer but they're not to the standard required at a club that wants to be one of the top clubs in European football. There have been organisational issues um, which have, have failed to impress players. Um, you have a dressing room that's split. You have senior players um, upset with the attitude and performance levels and the ability of younger players to follow instruction. You've seen that Cristiano Ronaldo a long interview where he, he emphasised how players needed to change their attitude and application if Manchester United were to be successful again. I think that's very revealing and and important about what's going on at United now. And as you say, they have now got themselves in a position where they have an interim manager who they need to get them back into the Champions League for next season, but who the players are not performing for. The performance levels have not changed in any radical fashion since he came in, and the players now know that he's not going to stay there. So they wait to to see who the the next manager is. Um, they have to solve that problem of of recruiting the the next man, and they have to make changes to the, the the squad without knowing who the next man is going to be and you know you you have for example Maurizio Pochettino pushing very hard for the job um, wanting to get out of Paris Saint-Germain trying to get that job uh, when Solskjaer was sacked and Paris Saint-Germain not allowing him to leave and trying again um, to get it at present knowing that United have wanted to hire him in the past. Um, there, there's a big swell of, of support, I think, from the fan base that Eric Ten Hag should be brought from Ajax to to solve the problems and, and improve the level of football. But I think everywhere you look at Manchester United at the moment, there are issues, big issues for them to solve. And, and and you see repetition of the problems they've had for multiple years in, in the performances and in the games and the match against Burnley. We see Harry Maguire losing contact with Fout Feghorst, um, then being beaten with him one-on-one, on one, not having the recovery pace to stop Jay Rodriguez scoring an equaliser. And look at look at that goal carefully. What do you see? Luke Shaw playing everyone on side for no reason. Um, and then... Uh, halting his recovery run so he doesn't get back in time to stop Rodriguez's shot how many times have we seen this issue at Manchester United over the, the season since Maguire was brought in uh, as the most expensive defender by transfer fee in the history of the game um, Ranić can't solve that those are players who will never be part of a, a winning a top level winning Manchester United starting lineup. it's clear and and United are going to have to take big hits on um, on their 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 salaries and their transfer fees in order to change it. But they, they have so many many elements to put in place and to solve at, at present. It, it's um, I do not envy Ralph or or any of the the staff at Manchester United their jobs at present.
1: I was going to say, Duncan. I I, I looking at it and looking at the club's performance levels since. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson retired Obviously they had Relative success under Jose Mourinho With the Europa League A League Cup and a second place finish Um, But Who would take the job? I mean, it's an it's an absolute shambles.
0: Well, Maurizio I, Pochettino would take the job <laughs> in a flash. We do you know think that. so? Yes. Yeah. It, it de- he is desperate. he, he is, is desperate. He's desperate to get the job. He's desperate to get back to English football. Y- He's yeah, pushing but he, he wait for Manchester City. though. <sighs> I think if he had the opportunity to wait for Manchester City, then, um, and both jobs were coming up at the same time, then sure, he'd prefer the, the Manchester City job. But the, the question is, would he be given the Manchester City job? And, and, and the bigger question for Manchester United is, is he the right person to give the Manchester United job, given, given his failures at Paris Saint-Germain? Um, you know, the, Players at Paris Saint-Germain like him as an individual, but they don't rate him as a coach. Uh, and he hasn't enjoyed his time over there. Um, he's going to win the French League, but he, you should be winning the, the, the French League as, as PSG coach. The, the question is, can you take that supremely well? Furnished squad and, and and turn them into Champions League winners. And the noises coming from people very close to Pochettino are the kind of things we talked about when he went there and when they hired Lionel Messi. It's the difficulties of of combining all those superstars into one team and the difficulty of handling the superstars when when they have greater status than than you do. Um so if you want to you want to hire Pochettino, it's fine. You do it on what he did. In his earlier career and and his earlier period at Tottenham, but if you look at the the, the latter stages of his career, from the, that run into getting sacked at Tottenham until and then what he's done at Paris Saint Germain, I don't think he's an obvious candidate to to solve the the scale of problems Manchester United have. But what's clear is he wants that job.
1: Well, that's my point. Who is? who <laughs> is the candidate who is the coach who can come in and turn, turn that ship around and put, get going in the right direction again because it, it seems to be a very fruitless uh, challenge at the moment because of so many problems that are there
0: yeah and, and I agree and there's a limited supply of, of, of elite coaches um, in the European market at the moment and and that's the quandary United are in. They've they built themselves into this state of disrepair which is unacceptable to the supporters and which, which is clearly dysfunctional. They have to solve it uh, and the, the question you ask is do they have the personnel in charge um, now that Ed Woodward's left now you have a new chief executive in place Do they have the experience to be able to make the best selection from the coaches available or to go and persuade someone um, who's at another club uh, who they think are better than coaches who would be offering themselves for the position to come there and and turn things around?
1: Well, they must be cursing the fact that once he employed David Moyes, um, albeit he was treated badly, uh, he missed out on Carlo Ancelotti, who I think is probably one of the only coaches currently um, who would be able to uh, do what seems like an impossible job um, at Manchester United. And of course, he's at Real Madrid now again for the second time. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> Speaking of Pochettino, Duncan, uh, his former club, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, we've spoken about this before in the podcast, that every team apart from Manchester City um, in the Premier League is effectively for sale um, if the right offer comes in. Maybe Newcastle United don't come into that category anymore, having been sold. And (laughs) You you have information regarding... um, uh, interest in buying Spurs?
0: Yeah, this, this comes from uh, Los Angeles, United States. Uh, a NASDAQ listed um, what's called a special purpose acquisition company, a SPAC called LAMF Global Ventures. Um, they floated on the NASDAQ stock market in November, um, raised over $250 million in their initial public offering. And uh, it was an offering that was oversubscribed. They're very confident they can raise substantial sums on top of that. Interesting group of people behind them, including the chairman, Jeffrey Soros, who is the the nephew of billionaire investor George Soros, um, also um, using as a special advisor... Um, on football, Keith Harris um, who uh, has been involved I think in more takeovers of English football clubs uh, than anyone else uh, in the in the financial world uh, in terms of brokering those deals they want I'm told to buy a, an elite European football club their preference is to buy into the Premier League, um, ideally a what, one of the big six clubs. Um, my understanding is that the the principal target has always been Tottenham Hotspur because it's known that that Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis have built it up into a way that it's ripe to be sold by the the over billion pound investment in the training ground and the stadium, uh, London location. The Achieving Champions League status, although that's now gone and, and getting close to, to winning the Premier League title. Um, Keith Harris, I'm told, approached Daniel Levy um, recently and uh, presented LAMF's interest in the club to Tottenham's chairman. Uh, my understanding is that he pitched the, the valuation that LAMF would place on Tottenham at £3 billion In the hope that uh, Levy would be interested in selling at that price or selling a percentage of their shares at that price Um, instead I'm told Levy rebuffed them um, guidance from A-Club sources that uh, he cut the conversation short and didn't even engage on the price, didn't want to get involved in bargaining over a number and um, I'm told that that was nothing to do with the, the figure, the valuation that was being placed on the club. It wasn't an issue that uh, that Levy felt LEMF were undervaluing Tottenham at £3 billion. But because of their status as a SPAC and therefore the need um, for Tottenham to go public, should a transaction occur with LEMF, the the, the, the structure of these deals and the rules associated with SPACs is such that when they buy an asset like Tottenham and a football club that would then be listed on the stock market and um, as it was explained to me Tottenham deliberately came off the stock market in, or- in order to raise money um, to overhaul their stadium and overhaul the training ground and, and rebuild the, the, the stadium from scratch. And it's in their interest to stay off the market. Now independent industry experts who, who have asked about this say the same thing. They they don't think a SPAC purchase of Tottenham is the most efficient way to go about it, either from a financial perspective or um, in the interest of the football club, so it didn't surprise them that uh, that Levy refused to engage. The question is what happens next with that that um, pool of money that LEMF have gathered together and, and they believe they can add to. There is a time limit um, in terms of when they have to make an acquisition. Uh, they have to buy something by a certain point in time, otherwise the money has to be returned to their investors. They're looking at other football clubs, um, looking in the Premier League, although it's difficult to see another big six club that it's possible for them to buy. There are alternative options such as Everton, um, which clearly are not as attractive as Tottenham, come with a, with a large number of problems. And then you can go outside uh, English football and look at clubs like Milan, which also come with significant complications. But uh, interesting that there's this pool of money an interest from America to buy another major club in England, and um, and a, and a marketplace being kind of excavated at the moment to see if a deal can be done.
1: I think I might give their number to uh, the administrators at Derby County. <laughs> see if they're interested in buying buying them out. So we'll move on to Chelsea. Duncan, and uh, it is our understanding at the Transfer Window podcast that they are in the market this coming summer for a striker. Uh, It is Thomas Tuchel's belief that they are overloaded with attacking midfielders who are not producing the goals, which he would expect from the players like Kai Havertz um, and uh, Pulisic. Therefore, uh, Paulo Dybala at Juventus has come into and onto their radar with regards to uh, moving to Stamford Bridge in the summer. He's uh, someone who has interested many European clubs over the last year or so, uh, having expressed some dissatisfaction with uh, his playing time at UV. Um, he has uh, played in eighteen games this season and scored seven goals. Uh, obviously he is a dynamic and also very forceful player. Uh, Lukaku, uh, who upset Tuchel with his comments that he would have rather stayed at Inter, had they offered him a new contract rather than go to Chelsea. Uh, but Lukaku has n- no real backup. Um, with regards to uh, him being out with an injury uh, most recently. uh, Dybala would be a point striker as well. Do you think it's a good fit, Duncan?
0: Look, it's it's no surprise to me that Chelsea are looking at the option. Um, Dybala's out of contract in the summer, He has been offered around English clubs and European clubs on numerous occasions. There's been an ongoing saga of him uh, getting very close to renewing his contract at Juventus. But it never actually happening. He has varied in his status at Juventus, being dropped out of the lineup and then coming back in under various coaches. Um, played it, played two thirds of the, the Serie A games as a, as a starter this season and been quite important to them, but they have decided to put their money into Dusan Vlaovic instead. um Dybala will be 29 this year. He has a patchy injury record. I think what you're seeing here is his representatives um assessing a busy market for free agents this summer and seeing what the the best um option available to him is and and it's understandable that chelsea are are talking and finding out what his salary request would be um and considering whether it's something that would would strengthen them or not um you know they're in a difficult stage at the moment and um, I think your friend Tam Tuchel is is also hitting headwinds at Chelsea in a way that he hadn't done at any stage before um, and, uh, and needs, uh, needs a turnaround in form otherwise he's going to start coming under the pressure that we know always comes onto Chelsea managers when Roman Abramovich and Marina Gravskaia feel they're underperforming relative to the investment that's been made in the team.
1: Very true Um, Chaos theory is uh, one way I've heard Chelsea's managerial uh, politics uh, described as so um, even though he won the Champions League he could well find himself out of a job if they don't start to pick up uh, and uh, look like they're making progress um, before the end of this season but again the problem would be Duncan that Candidates to replace are thin on the ground. Um, So that's something that they'll have to take into account. Someone who has got no problems in terms of uh, finding a new job uh, is uh, Dan Ashworth, who uh, is Brighton's technical director. And we flagged up to you on the podcast that Newcastle United had made an offer to him. Uh, and that was some time ago. So yet again, we brought you that news before anyone else. And uh, it was this week uh, announced that he had resigned his role at Brighton Hall Albion. And, and that he um, would be moving to another Premier League club. That club is Newcastle United. But Duncan, apparently, he's become the Alan Titchmarsh of
0: football. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's placed on extended gardening leave by Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, My understanding is the the extent of that extended gardening leave is nine months, um, which raises an interesting question for both Newcastle United and Brighton and Hove Albion. Because if you're decided that Ashworth is the best pick for that important sports director role, which is what you, um, Amanda Staveley and Co have done, um, and it is a substantial role. We're talking about basically a, an overhaul of of Newcastle United from bottom up, um, running the gamut of of training ground, um, including things like the women's team, the first team, obviously the mandate as uh, as has become clear. Um, uh, or, or now public, an element of public record to it because new signing Bruno Guimaraes talked about it. Something, again, we reported early on in the in the podcast that they want to be competing for the Premier League and the Champions League in five years' time. So that is an amazing mandate to have as a sports director. It's something that Ashworth has never taken on before. It's a different scale of job to anything he's done before, but he has... Um, I think a, a attractive area for them is, is is his work with the Football Association. Um, they want to focus as much as they can on English talent. Uh, Ashworth has good connections and and uh, and a background there. But do they buy him out of his gardening leave? Because nine months is a long time to wait if you're trying to get yourself to the Champions League final in less than five years time and this is your sporting director with that scale of job required for him um, or do you pay Brighton Hove Albion or try to pay Brighton and Hove Albion um, the money that's required to compensate him for the remaining time in his contract that I understand would be less than a million pounds um, as we reported uh, when that offer came in Newcastle have more than doubled his salary it doesn't seem like much of an extra investment. I guess the question would be whether um, Tony Bloom, as as owner of Brighton, could hold Ashworth to his contract should Newcastle decide to buy it out at full value, whether legally he's allowed to do that or whether if the the full value of the contract is offered to him, he has to allow Ashworth to leave. I
1: think it's interesting, Duncan, that... um... The transfer recruitment policy in January at Newcastle, as you reported uh, initially, uh, that the new owners were not going to be ostentatious in the way that they spent money in January because they felt that, that would be the wrong thing to do, it would send out the wrong signals, they would get ripped off, etc., etc. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Uh, they were ostentatious. <laughs> they bought Chris Wood for... Uh, A ridiculous amount of money For a 30-year-old striker From Burnley Bruno Gomarish is uh, uh, Also a record signing Uh, So yeah Look You need Ashworth in place To organise their summer recruitment That's for sure And make sure that it is sensible And that it's well organised And that it's team building Rather than scattergun Um, So yeah I think you're right to say that Uh, Newcastle have to make a decision about um, paying out of uh, the contract uh, of um, Ashworth at Brighton Albion um, because Ashworth of course resigned, he wasn't sacked, uh, so therefore he's not due to um, uh, be paid uh, except for his monthly salary on his notice period so if Newcastle want them to be working for them on the ground, then they will have to pay compensation to Brighton. So that's where the uh, rock and a hard place is with regards to Newcastle and getting uh, Ashworth in in order to do the job that they're looking for him to do uh, ahead of the summer window.
0: Yeah, and, and Brighton obviously have to find a replacement. Dan Ashworth was the first sports director they've had at the club Um understand that Tony Bloom was happy with his performance and and didn't want to to lose Ashworth as we reported on the podcast he offered him a pay rise to stay on and hoped that Ashworth would take that although he wasn't prepared to match the money um the uh, Excessive money, in his view, that was on on offer at Newcastle United. Um, I understand that they have initiated a process of looking for a replacement and are, are using a headhunting company in order to um, to provide a, a list of, of names um, for the club to consider before making an appointment. Um, I think you're right to flag up the the mess that that Newcastle made of the January window and and why Ashworth and and a change in recruitment style is is going to be fundamental to them achieving what they want to achieve uh, on the playing field Um, yes they initially wanted to avoid spending in january and then they came basically to a pragmatic conclusion that they were going to go down if they didn't spend uh, and got forced into as, as one person describes it to me making every mistake um, that they were warned against making in the window. I um, so some interesting comments from um, the German defender Robin Gosens, uh, who chose to join Inter from Atalanta rather than Newcastle United, uh, and and talked about turning down um, a much. Richer contract at Newcastle in order to, to stay at Inter for sporting reasons. Um, he said, I, I find it very human to think about it, referring to the money, if you can earn a multiple for the same job in a different location, show me someone who just says, no, thank you. Um, and then said... And with this offer, the pros were clearly playing in the Premier League and the lucrative contract offer, but the cons were a few too many. I would have jeopardised my sporting goals. At the end of my career, I would like to look in the mirror and say, I got the most from my sporting career. With Newcastle, I didn't have that feeling from the start. Now, that speaks to a problem with the way Newcastle are selling the project to targets because they were not able to convince Cousins that even though they could offer much more money than Inter were offering him, that it was the right place to go and they need to change that. Bruno Guimaraes, it wasn't a problem. Guimaraes liked it by his own um, explanation. He liked what the project was, was that was being sold to him. And... Uh, he was happy to move to Newcastle on that basis and take the superior money on offer there. But they lost players who were preferred targets because they weren't able to convince them that Newcastle is the right sporting project at present.
1: It's interesting because I was speaking to an agent um, who knows uh, Gosens' agent and uh, Gosens didn't know who was in charge as in who was head coach at Newcastle and uh, so he asked his agent who's the head coach and and his reply Gorson's reply was Eddie who? (laughs) His agent said no Eddie how? He said Eddie who? (laughs) So uh, there you go I don't think that's really going to help Newcastle's cause if that's the kind of response you're getting from players you're trying to recruit about your new head coach it's time for Hero and Villain and uh, we have uh, interesting uh, candidates for you this week uh, Duncan uh, do you want to go first with Villain or shall I go first with Hero?
0: I'll, I'll do the, the Villain um, who unusually for the podcast is is going to remain unnamed but let's say he is a, a representative of Wayne Rooney um, who called me out of the blue and um, Back in January 2017, after I'd written an article for the Sunday Times about Jose Mourinho's plans um, to reconstruct the Manchester United squad, in order to get them to the, the top of the European game. It's interesting that back in 2017, we're talking about that and we're, we're talking about it still on this podcast. Um, one of the, the players he was targeting, uh, which I reported in the story, was was Antoine Griezmann. I think we discussed that pursuit um, in detail in the, on the podcast. Um, why was uh, Wayne Rooney's representative interested in a, in a story uh, about... Mourinho and Antoine Griezmann. Well, in the sixth paragraph there was a mention of Rooney um, in which I said, though United have avoided publicly discussing the readiness to move Rooney off their books, there is a recognition within Old Trafford that the captain's status as an automatic starter has been lost to fitness and lifestyle issues. Were Rooney to accept an offer from elsewhere, he has been the subject of hugely lucrative approaches from the Chinese Super League, United would gladly be relieved of the 31-year-old's remuneration. Why did the the guy take offence? He said, "I was not. It was not correct of me to talk about Rooney's lifestyle issues, um, as that would have a damaging effect on his client." Um, and my response was to ask him if he if he'd actually read the piece uh, and read what I'd said. And he admitted he hadn't read the piece, and then he had a look at it. And then I said, "Look, um, I've got multiple very well placed sources telling me that." Rooney's lifestyle is affecting his sporting performance. Um, and I know that that story is correct. And I don't see how you can object to me talking about lifestyle issues in, in one sentence when just a few weeks beforehand, your client was on the front page of The Sun um, in a story about how he'd spent the day drinking in England's team hotel and, and ended up at a, a wedding that was being held there. Um, the headline of the, of the Sun's story, Wayne Randy, Wayne Rooney almost punched by wedding guest after drunk England captain was getting handy with his wife. Now think about all that in the, it wasn't, con- the bride, was it? <laughs> it wasn't well, according <laughs> to the story, it wasn't the bride. Um, think about all of that in the context of an extraordinary interview Rooney gave to Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday times last weekend. Um, ahead of the launch of a a documentary in which he he tells a lot of stories about his career. And he talked about his drinking problem, um, said to Jonathan um, that he he got involved in what he described as a self-binge, basically, which helps you forget things. But when you come out of it, you're going back to work and it's still there. So it was doing more damage than good. And then he said that he would at that period, he would study United's training schedule. And and this is a quote, if I saw a couple of days window, I thought, right, that's a couple of days where I can go at it and forget things. Then he'd dust myself down and use eye drops and get through that week's training. I was in a really bad place. And I, I, I recount this just as an, an example of what we have to deal with as sports journalists um, working for UK papers, and how um, you know the extreme libel laws in the UK allow people to try and scare you into not even making oblique references to something that you are aware is going on in an article, um, and then you know, lo and behold. Five years later, Rooney comes out and talks in, in, uh, in great detail about the problems he's had with alcohol um, for large periods of his football career.
1: Well, no need to um, explain that one to me, Duncan. You know very well <laughs> the kind of scrapes I've got into <laughs> with different players and agents and managers uh, over the years. Um, here for us this week, is a friend of the podcast, as Johnny Northcroft, of course, is as well, is Luis Campos, the former sports director at Monaco and Lille. This week, CIES, uh, who compiles statistics on football around Europe, reported that Lille um, have made the most profit on transfers in the top five leagues in the last five years, A time, of course, when Luge was sports director there. Let's not forget he also recruited the likes of Kylian Mbappe and Bernardo Silva to Monaco, who were then sold for record sums as well. Uh, He was also part of uh, the Lille management team, who beat the mighty Paris Saint-Germain to the league title. So uh, we are awarding our hero to Luis Campos this week Uh, and uh, we hope we might see him in the Premier League soon uh, because he has an interest, as we know, in coming to England. This has been the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. You can uh, engage with us, and please do, on our social media channels. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan is on at Duncan Castle on Twitter. I'm on at Garbo SJ on Twitter. You can also search us on YouTube if you want to access the podcast that way. That's all for today. Just leaves us to say, stay safe, be well, and thank you for listening.